Miss Karen, I'm one of the assistant pastors here. I'm going to be reading the Bible for us. If you'd like to read along with a paper Bible and you don't have one, uh, if you want to put up your hand and someone will run around and give you a paper Bible. Um, so we're reading, we're continuing our series in Mark. We're reading in Mark chapter 6. We're starting at verse 1. If you do have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1007. So Mark chapter 6, and we're starting at verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some are saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. Still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled Yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask for me anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you 
up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we, going to go, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fishes. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to, to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them, him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him, and they were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there.
As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Karen. Well, uh, please keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 6 as uh, we have a, a, a look at this passage for a few minutes. I want to um, pray for us as we uh, come to do this. So we pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We, we thank you for this time and we ask that you would give us insight into who Jesus is, that we would respond to him as you call us to. We ask in his name. Amen. Uh, we are working our way through Mark's gospel here week by week at Night Church and it's been, um, I, I've loved uh, just working through, getting, seeing afresh who Jesus is, uh, being re-reminded, refreshed, uh, rejuvenated, recalibrated, all sorts of our words about, um, about who Jesus is and, and how we understand and respond to him. Nothing is more important in life than that. And yet that statement I've just made, that nothing is more important in life than understanding and responding to Jesus, I'm sure that's not shared by everyone. I think if I surveyed 100 people, there'd be all sorts of different views of who Jesus is, who he was, who he is, and what that means for us. Um, I expect some would say he's uh, an interesting but largely irrelevant person from history. Maybe they'd say he's uh, an influential teacher or prophet, some might think, well, Jesus, isn't he just like a, I don't know, a children's storybook character? Maybe um, someone that religious fanatics go on about. Maybe someone I try not to think about too much. And in fact, if you mention his name, I'll probably shut you down or try and change the topic of conversation. Many people reject Jesus, brush him aside, downplay his significance. What about us? What do we make of Jesus? I expect there's a range of views here. I mean, many, if not most of us, would, I expect, have a, have a high view of Jesus. I mean, as, as church-going people, there's a good chance Jesus is pretty important to us. But who is he? Who is he to you? Is he, is he your saviour? Is he your friend? Perhaps like a, 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 a travel companion on the journey of your life. Is he your eternal insurance policy? Maybe he's your emergency contact person, the person that you, you go to in the case of an emergency. Who is Jesus? What do we make of him? How should we respond to him? Throughout this, this chapter, chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel, we see different people encountering Jesus and trying to work out what to make of him. And there's a, a variety of responses. Yeah, you'll see it on the, on the screen and, and uh, you can follow along on the handout there. In uh, chapter 6, verse 1, look there with me, chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus uh, left there, went to his hometown. He teaches in the synagogue. He does some miracles. Sorry, you, oh, you got that? Yep. You got the slides? Excellent. I'll leave you to do that. Uh, sorry, back up, back up one. He's in his hometown. Actually, I'll do the slides. There we go. I've got the, I've got the power, have I? Yes, I do. Excellent. I'll do it. Uh, so Jesus goes to his hometown and he's teaching there in the synagogue. Uh, he's doing some miracles. The people are amazed. They hear his teaching. They hear his authority. They're amazed. They, they see his miracles. 
But it doesn't go deep. They, they, they then try to sort of cut him down to size. They say, look, isn't this just the carpenter? Verse 3. Isn't this Mary's son? The, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? This is just Joe and Mary's boy. And they took offence at him. They didn't believe. So their response there in verse 6 is a lack of faith. Then secondly, there's people throughout the, the region. Uh, verse 6 continues, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. And then he sent out his 12 apostles. The word, the word apostle just means sent one. Jesus sent them to, to continue his ministry. They, they preached that people should repent, verse 12, and, and Jesus gave them his authority to, to drive out demons, to heal people, and, and some people don't welcome them. So they, they don't listen to them. They, they reject the message of Jesus. They reject his messengers. And then we see the, the ruler, thirdly, King Herod, the ruler. Verse 14, it says, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. And, and it lists a very a variety of opinions about who Jesus is. It says, some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he's Elijah. Still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Kind of seems like a, a guilty conscience might be plaguing Herod here. He's, he's uh, feeling guilty about um, what he's done to this innocent man, John. And he concludes that, no, no, Jesus must be John raised up in some sort of, as some sort of undead sorcerer. Maybe that's why he's got these powers to perform miracles. Then fourthly, there's the crowds. Jesus is well known, uh, says verse 14. He's popular. I mean, verses uh, 33 and 35, cr crowds are flocking to see Jesus. He's well known. People are interested in him. Maybe they're interested in his teaching, but more than likely they're interested in his miracles. They want to see him do something amazing. And they do indeed see something amazing. He feeds 5,000 people plus with just a few loaves and a few fish. Then fifthly, there's the disciples. They get it, sort of. I mean, they're following Jesus, right? They're they're, they belong to him, they're following him, they're, they're sent out by him as his representatives. They're on the Jesus team. They're there helping Jesus uh, with the distribution and logistics as they're feeding 5,000 people. You know, they're, they're with him, but when he walks on the water, they're terrified, verse 50 says. When he calms the wind, they're completely amazed, it says, verse 51. They, they don't really get it. Look there, verse 51. It says, Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So they're following Jesus, but they don't yet fully understand. So we see this variety of responses to Jesus, people trying to work out who he is, what to make of him, and even the disciples don't yet fully understand. But what does that mean then? In verse 51, it says, They were completely amazed for or because they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. 
That's a bit of a puzzle. What is it about the loaves, which if they, if they had understood, well, that would have changed their being completely amazed. I mean, Jesus has just walked on the water. I mean, that itself is amazing. But Mark doesn't say that. He doesn't say they were completely amazed because Jesus had just walked on the water. He says they were completely amazed because for they had not understood about the loaves. What does he mean? I mean, if they had understood about the loaves, would they have said, oh, oh, hey, Jesus, yeah, I mean, we were expecting you because, I mean, like, the loaves. What does this mean? It doesn't really make sense. Now, when I find something in the Bible that doesn't make sense, that I don't understand, that's a great moment. I love it when I don't understand the Bible. It's an opportunity. Uh, it's a lost opportunity if you just kind of discard it and say, ah, I don't understand. But it's an opportunity if you take it. It's an opportunity to, to grow and to come to understand, to change what you think so that it lines up with what God says in the Bible. It's kind of like square pegs and round holes. If, if what the Bible says is a square peg, and my understanding is kind of a round hole, and it just doesn't fit, well, what do I do? I mean, I can throw away the square peg of the Bible, and just stick with my round hole understanding, or I could take this as an opportunity, as a wake-up call, to grow in and to change my understanding, to expand that so that it can receive and accommodate the square peg of what the Bible teaches. So it's a good thing when we don't understand something in the Bible. It's an opportunity to grow and to think and to bring our thinking into line with what God says. So then, what do we need to understand about the loaves? Before we get to that, there's another thing that puzzles me in this passage, and that is, why does Mark include this lengthy account of the gruesome death of John the Baptist? I mean, the, the immediate uh, context is, is uh, he's answering this question, who is Jesus? Some say Elijah, others a prophet, others John the Baptist raised from the dead. And, and so it's just kind of exposing the, the various opinions and, and a connection to John the Baptist is one of them. But then why go back and recount the whole sordid story of how John lost his head? I've got four thoughts on this. Um, firstly, I think it's just tying up a loose end. Uh, back in chapter 1, we saw that um, it began with John the Baptist, but then he just kind of disappeared off the pages uh, with the words after John was put in prison. You know, what? Well, hang on, what happened there? So this is, this is uh, tying up a loose end. This explains what happened to John. Secondly, as Mark poses this question, who is Jesus? By taking us back to John, we're reminded of what we were told earlier, that, that John is this, this Elijah figure, Remember the, the messenger who's wearing camel's hair and a belt? and He was the one who came before the Lord God. We're reminded of what, what John tells us about Jesus, that he is, he is the Lord. He is coming judgment. So Mark takes us back to John in order to point us to Jesus. Thirdly, I think this functions as a, as a contrast to the kingship of Jesus. I mean, here is the, the godless alternative to Jesus. Here is the rule of Herod, this immoral, adulterous, stupid, egotistical murderer. That's a contrast to Jesus. But fourthly, lastly, I think Mark is including this account of John's death to, to point forward, to paint a shadow of what's to come later in the gospel. Spoiler alert, but if you know what happens at the end, 
You can see the parallels between what happened to John and what happened to Jesus. Both John and Jesus faced opposition and, and arrest by a godless ruler. Herod in the case of John, Pilate in the case of Jesus. Both Herod and Pilate, they're pressured by hostile opponents who are nursing a grudge against their prisoner. Herodias wants John dead. The Jewish leaders want Jesus dead. Both Herod and Pilate can see through it. They can see the innocence of Jesus and John. They try to protect them, but in the end, they give in to the pressure and they order their execution. And both accounts of John and Jesus include a little detail that their disciples came, took his body and laid it in a tomb. Sorry, there's uh, those points on the screen. So I think Mark is, um, is saying that John, uh, John prepares the way for Jesus. His death is a pointer to what's to come. Yes, Jesus, he is the Lord, come in judgment, but that judgment comes through Jesus himself dying a gruesome death at the hands of a spineless immoral ruler under the influence of hostile opponents. And so I think we're meant to see a shadow of what's coming for Jesus. So John prepared the way, and Mark presents a shadow of what's to come. But then what about these, these loaves? What about understanding these loaves which the disciples hadn't, hadn't understood yet? Well, uh, if we can understand camel's hair in a belt, that is Elijah, that's a good start. If we get Elijah who comes before the Lord comes, then we start to, to, to see what's happening with the loaves. So just look there with me, verse, um, verse 30. We'll look a bit more closely at this incident of the feeding of the 5,000. So uh, verse 30, the apostles return. Uh, they return and report to Jesus what they've done and taught. And it's hectic. It says there's people coming and going, so they didn't even have a chance to eat. It's hectic. Jesus, uh, and so Jesus cares for them. He says, end of verse, um, verse 31, he says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he said, can't you give me five minutes? No, no, sorry, he didn't say that, did he? That might be what I would have said. No, it, it says, when he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Compassion. Like sheep without a shepherd. That, um, that phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is, is a, a rich uh, metaphor that's used uh, uh, throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament before this pointing forward. Uh, we we uh, think of, of Moses, the great leader of God's people, had led Israel through the desert on the way to the promised land. And just before Moses died, he said in Numbers 27, verse 16, he said these words, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Moses wants God to appoint another leader. And so God appoints Joshua, who succeeded Moses. Incidentally, Joshua, his name is the Hebrew version of the name Jesus. And so here Jesus is, as he sees this crowd, he has compassion on them, he's, he's a leader for them, so they're not like sheep without a shepherd. 
Uh, furthermore, in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, it speaks again of the leaders of Israel uh, because they were, they, were, they were mistreating the people, they were mistreating the flock that was under their care. And so God promised them that he himself will come and will care for his people. In Ezekiel 34 verse 14, God says, I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And so here we have in Mark 6, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He he taught them. He cared for them like a shepherd. It grew late. People needed food. And Jesus miraculously feeds them such that down in verse 42 it says they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Jesus cares for his lost people, his shepherdless people. He provides bread from heaven for the people of God in the wilderness. If we know our Bibles, who else has done that? God has done that. He provided manna to Israel in the desert en route to the promised land. So this feeding 5,000 men and women and children with a few loaves and fish, it's not just a kind of neat party trick. I mean, could have started an amazing catering business, but it's not just a neat party trick. This is a sign. It's a sign that, that God himself has come. He's come as the great shepherd for his people. He's come to be the saviour who leads his people, who provides for them en route to the promised land. That's what the disciples needed to understand about the loaves. And if they'd understood that, then when Jesus walks to them on the water, they might have understood the significance of him doing that. Uh, In the words of Psalm 77, it says, speaking of God, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is speaking of, of the exodus, of God saving his people, leading them through the sea. Who is this man with a path through the seas? He's not a ghost like the disciples think. He's not some kind of magician doing a neat party trick. This is the Lord God himself coming to bring salvation to his people. Come to lead them like a flock through the sea and onto the promised land of rest. If the disciples had understood that about the loaves, then when Jesus says, take courage, verse 50, it is I, or literally he says, I am, they would have made sense of that. That's the name that God used of himself when Moses said, ask, who shall I said, sent, said, sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. If the disciples had understood about the loaves, then when the wind died down, they would have recognised that well, God is the one who controls the wind and the waves. Who is Jesus? This tells us he is God. He is God come to save, to care, to lead, to provide for his people. So let me ask you, do you understand the loaves? Do you see who Jesus is? He's not just an interesting figure from history. He's not just a a prophet. He's not just a character in a children's storybook. He's not just one that we call on in emergencies. 
He is the Lord God come to save you, to save me. Not everyone will see that. Not everyone will recognise him for who he is. Uh, Some, like Herod, will be so preoccupied with themselves and their own egos, their own pleasures, that they will suppress and deny the truth. Some will gladly chase after the good things that God provides whilst rejecting the one who provides them. What about you? Do you get it? Do you see who Jesus is? If you do, then, as Jesus said to his disciples, take courage. I am. Do not fear. God is standing in the boat, so to speak, before us. So do what he says. Jesus' message uh, was a pretty simple one, really. Uh, Or at least the message that he he got his disciples to, to, to preach was simple. It says in verse 12, they went out and preached that people should repent. There it is. There's the, there's the application to the sermon. Uh, we like to be told what to do. What, you know, that, that, we like to be told, just, just, to get, just give me the application. Tell me what to do. Whether or not we do it, that's another question. But we like preaching that just tells us what to do. Here's Jesus' preaching class to his disciples. He said, tell people they should repent. Repent and then go and tell others that they should repent. It's good advice. I mean, after all, it came from Jesus, so it makes sense. So my question is, have you repented? Are you continuing to repent? That is, do you see who Jesus is? Do you see that he is God come to save us, to provide for us, to, to care for us? And do you see that that you, that I, have, we've failed to, to live the way that God calls us to. We've failed to acknowledge that of Jesus. We, we've tried to live with him at a distance. We've tried to put ourselves in the driver's seat of our life, so to speak. We need to repent. That is, we need to turn around. To turn from living our way and acknowledge Jesus for who he is. To ask him to, to save us, to forgive us, to lead us, to help us to follow him. Repentance is how we start the Christian life, and it's how we continue the Christian life. This is what Sam and Sarah have committed themselves to. This is what they've committed themselves to do and to teach Caleb to do, praying that he too will repent and put his trust in Jesus. So what do you make of Jesus? We recognise that he has come, that he has stepped into this broken world, that he's come with compassion, that he's come with power. He's come as our saviour, our provider, our leader, our God. We hear and respond to the call to repent and believe the good news. Nothing is more important in life than that. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we want to thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has come, come to save us, to care for us, to provide for us and lead us. We are sorry that we have turned against you, that we've tried to to run our own lives our own way without you. 
And Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy to us in Jesus. We ask that you would forgive us, save us, lead us, and help us to follow you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.